good afternoon, my friends. The doctor is in the house. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of To Your Health with Dr. G. On this Wednesday, we're going to just have a lot of fun. My name is Dr. Mark Gomez. I'm a board-certified internal medicine physician working at an Edward Hospital in Naperville and Bolingbrook, Illinois. Welcome back, everybody, to my 25th episode. I cannot believe it. What once was a dream is now reality, and uh, I've just been so happy to bring amazing content to my listeners out there, and really at the end of the day, making sure that we have all the tools to be successful with our health. And as we know, when you have success in your health, you can have success in your life. That's deep, isn't it? It's deep. It's deep. All right. Well, again, welcome back to the show. Today's show is entitled Food Allergies 101. Again, my name is Dr. Mark Gomez. Check me out on my website, www.drmarkgomez.com. Check me out on my handles on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at To Your Health, Dr. G. So when I was coming up with the show today, I knew I had to have a certain guest. And those of you that have seen us before, and those of you that are new to the show, I'm so, so, so excited to have her on the show today. But we did a show back in the summer. We talked about allergies in the summertime, and we had a great show. And then when I was putting the show together for food allergies, I go, okay, I got to have my good friend Dr. Juanita Mora on the show. So I just knew it had to happen. So we're going to make it, we made that connection, and I'm going to introduce you guys to her in a bit. Um, for those of you that are new to the show, what we do on each week is I break down uh, a health topic with uh, my expert clinician to help us really kind of break down any barriers. We're going to talk about a lot of different things because food allergies, this theme is so important to us. It affects so many of us. And a lot of the, main, the general public does not realize this. So we're going to talk about how prevalent it is. We're going to talk about the burdens that it may have. And certainly, what can we do as caregivers? What can we do as parents? What can we do as educators? What can we do as community leaders and just citizens of planet Earth, why not? But but what can we do as a community to make this burden less of an issue so that everybody can have good health at the end of the day? But before we get into that kind of stuff and I introduce my guests, I want to hit you guys with a quick disclaimer. So here we go. The content of To Your Health with Dr. G is for informational and entertainment purposes only and that the content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Further details can be found at www.toyourhealthwithdrg.com slash disclaimer. So before I introduce Dr. Moore to you guys, I want to hit you guys with a couple quick stats. And here's the deal. Because food allergies is real. And, and really the theme that we're talking about today is how can food, which we need to survive and live, cause damage to us? And that's the quintessential issue that we're talking about today. And so we're going to break this down a little bit more. But let me hit you with a couple quick stats. Approximately 15 million people in the United States have food allergies. That was a bigger number than I thought before I was researching everything for this topic. And when you break it down, we, a lot of times when we, when we think about kids, but adults have it too. So 6 million kids roughly and about 9 million adults. We're going to get into some more of the stats in a little bit. But food allergies is real. And so we're going to talk about practical approaches today and really what can we do uh, to make this issue more, more talked about because we have to talk about health. I mean, you know, we're going to talk about moving the needle with health on any kind of topic, whether it's food allergies or diabetes or anything like that. You've got to have a conversation about it. So that's what we're going to be doing today and talking about health and well-being in this relation. So 
Without further ado, I want to introduce my guest today. I'm so excited to have you on the show again. So she is uh, now a veteran of To Your Health with Dr. G. And there's going to be more content, there's no doubt, because I, I'm going to be tapping Dr. Dr. Moore to make sure she comes on the show on more occasions, but, but I just, just consider her a friend. Obviously, she's an expert. And so I want to introduce to you guys Dr. Juanita Mora. Uh, she's a double board certified internal medicine and pediatric uh, physician, as well as certified in allergy and immunology. You can check her out at www.thechicagoallergycenter.com. Dr. Moore, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Ah, thank you for having me back. It's a pleasure to be here. Hola. Hola. All right. <laughs> oh, this is so, I'm so excited because this is your bread and butter. And, and, and again, when, I, when we come with this idea and I reach out to you and I go, all right, we're going to do this. And you're like, yes, we're going to do this. And we're going to take this to the next level because we want so, so many people to know and understand about this. So I want to ask you this. Um, I want you to start off by just telling us a little bit about your background. Where did you do your medical training? Where did you go to medical school? Where did you do your residency? Just give us a little bit of your credentials. Sure. So I've been a Chicago girl all my life, born and raised in Pilsen, a predominantly Mexican neighborhood in Chicago. I went to College University of Chicago, med school at UIC in Chicago, too. And I did internal medicine and pediatrics residency at Rush and Allergy and Immunology Fellowship at Rush um, here in Chicago. So I haven't left, and I'm here to stay. <laughs> wow. I, I, it's, it's so funny because we think about, on a side note, like uh, physicians, you know, you go from one place, you say, I'm going to go to this school, I'm going to go to that school, I want to go there. You stayed true to your roots. Yes. <laughs> that is so awesome. And you're still here doing it at your in your medical practice. But also, a lot of people don't know, you are now the national spokeswoman for the uh, American Lung Association, is that correct? That is correct. All right, see, uh, see again, you're, yeah, this is awesome. They let a Latina in. We're in trouble. <laughs> oh, it's going to change for the better. Thank I love you. that inclusiveness because that's what it's all about. Absolutely. All right, so we're going to talk about allergies today, food allergies, not other allergies, just food. Things that I like to eat. We all like to eat food, but we're going to talk about food allergies in particular. So why don't, give me this. Why don't we start by just saying, give me like just a general day in the life of Dr. Mora in her practice dealing with food allergies. Absolutely. So I'm glad we're doing this show because one of the things we want to do is raise food allergy awareness. So when we're talking about food allergy coming into the office, sometimes it's a little newborn baby who might be a month old or two month old presenting with a really bad um, case of atopic dermatitis or eczema and mommy's been breastfeeding. And she's worried that something she's eating is actually causing the really bad eczema in the baby. So the baby at that point can get actually tested for uh, food allergies and determine if it's something that mommy's introducing in the breast milk that's really exacerbating the atopic dermatitis as well, too. Um, other kids present um, basically in clinic with, you know, this is the first time we introduce peanut or, you know, we just, grandma gave him a few cashews and he developed hives, lip swelling, eye swelling, and then complained that he couldn't breathe or started completely throwing up. So then it's really diagnosing, it's also giving them an emergency food allergy action plan, and it's all about just what you said, empowering them with education so that everyone at large, and that's one of our goals today, is to educate the public on what to do in case of a food allergy reaction as well. Excellent. And, and I think, yeah, go, go back and hear those numbers that, that, I, that I said at the beginning, 9 million adults, 6 million children those are some very impactful numbers. When you look at like even the, the, the impact of the, the, of the disease burden itself, it's in the billions of dollars 
each year in this in this country. Twenty five billion dollars spent on food allergy resources every single year. So let's break this down. Um, I wanna I wanna break that. Just let's take it down to like one on one. And why don't we just can you just uh, tell the audience what is a food allergy? Let's break it down. Excellent. So one when we let's talk food allergy. So what is a food allergy? It's when basically the body's immune system starts rejecting that specific food, so mounting an actual specific uh, response to it. And the way I explain it to parents or even adult patients who first walk in and they tell me, I've eaten shrimp all my life and suddenly I have this reaction where I break out into hives or lip swelling every time I eat shrimp now. So I tell them something in your body's immune system change where it's rejecting it. And your body is very smart, it's very in tune. And when it mounts an allergic response against the food, it creates, and when it's IgE mediated, it creates hives angioedema or lip swelling, eye swelling, vomiting, diarrhea, shortness of breath, wheezing, throat closing. Those are the IgE-mediated or allergic response to an actual food. So it's your body's way of rejecting the food and telling you that it's, it's not tolerating it. And, and I always say is you don't want to be that person where something bad happens because you're describing symptoms that can be life-threatening. And it's interesting because when I see patients in a, in a, from an adult side, because I only see adults as a, in my practice, uh, I'll get some of that kind of same story. They'll have some of those symptoms. Uh, they'll have the hives. They'll have the swelling, the lip swelling especially. Sometimes maybe getting a little bit of a shortness of breath. And they say, what's going on? And, and, and you, the hardest part for me is to break down the patients and say, hey, yes, you've been doing this all your life, but now your body has lots of response. Exactly. And one of the ways I explain it to them is suddenly for adult onset food allergy, it's basically something that you've eaten all your life and suddenly something changes in your immune system where your body no longer tolerates. Can that tolerance come back? Possibly. But that's why once a year you would get food skin tested and blood tested as well too. So that way we can determine. But in the meantime, no more popping Benadryl or Allegra or Zyrtec and trying to eat the food. That is not the right thing to do. The right thing is avoidance and having an EpiPen or AviQ always with you. Oh my gosh. I mean, you hit the head on the nail because you're right. It's so easy for people to say, hey, I want to do Benadryl or one of those products and antihistamine. And you're like, no, no, no. You need... If, if there's something happening, you need something that works in minutes, even faster than that. Because you only have maybe minutes to prevent uh, something that's very serious. Correct. And we have a lot of parents who have become great advocates whose kids, unfortunately, did not survive a bad allergic reaction. And um, one of the big cases that comes to mind is the Red Sneakers Foundation, which is for a little boy in Florida who had a really um, a bad reaction to tree nuts, and his parents didn't recognize that they should give epinephrine early and gave Benadryl, continued to have symptoms, went into anaphylaxis, which is a life-threatening reaction completely. His brain shut down, body, body completely shut down, and he wound up passing away. So now the parents are big advocates in raising food allergy awareness, and I can't say it more like we need to get the word out using epinephrine in a life-threatening allergic reaction or even a mild reaction. Now I tell parents, if in doubt, give it. You'll never be wrong for giving it because it's better to be safe rather than sorry. The phrase I like to use in my practice is, there's no crying wolf in, when it comes to your health. And Correct. so when, when in doubt, you just give it. Mm -hmm. uh, and 
<laughs> just give it. I mean, you can't stress the importance of that. Just give it. Now, let me ask you this. Is it, is it more so that our body is, uh, is responding to any particular proteins within the food itself? When you get the food allergy, is, 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 is that really kind of a, the underlying issue that's going on? Correct. So it's basically, it's reacting to a specific food protein. So in peanut now, in blood testing, we can break, out, break down to the components, the actual proteins of peanut that put kids or adults at risk for um, a higher chance of anaphylaxis. So yes, it's your body reacting to that protein and mounting this response. And one big question I always get, well, I always break it into hives, so I don't have to carry EpiPen. Um, you know, I only get lip swelling, so I don't have to carry EpiPen. My child doesn't have that life-threatening allergy. All you have to do is, is give them Benadryl, right? And I said, no. So what the studies have shown is we can never predict what a second or a third allergic reaction can be. So EpiPen should always be carried, especially in a two-pack. So the ABIQ or the EpiPen. And then they should always carry Benadryl. But I said, first thing is give EpiPen, and then you can get Benadryl as well, too. But first thing is treat the reaction as fast as you can. There was some recent, obviously, it's been in the news uh, last year, about the extraordinary price out there for EpiPen. And then when they came out with a, the manufacturer that came out with a generic product, uh, and the price was still excessively high. What, what are we doing these days to try to really combat the cost are there other are there foundations out there? Are there groups that are out there that are trying to, to, to lower the cost so people can have access to this life-saving medicine? Sure. So one of the actual, the generics just was FDA approved, which is made by Teva, which is going to be a cheaper alternative coming out. They just haven't stocked the pharmacies yet, so that's going to be one alternative. AVQ, which is the injectable talking actual um auto-injectable epinephrine is currently on the market and for commercial insured patients they have a zero dollar copay card and for kids or adults on Medicaid they actually have a foundation in which they'll provide free drug that is something that the company is actually doing so which we think them for obviously as well yeah, too. We've got to get the word out there that there's some resources out there because you can imagine if you're if you're maybe in an underserved community and certainly we've seen the rise of food allergies in the African American, Hispanic communities compared to the Caucasian community over the last couple decades, you know, we're talking about now people that may not be having the access, but now we're trying to find ways to get them access to those resources. Absolutely, especially because we had an EpiPen shortage that's still going on in the United States because um, there was not enough stock in there and we had kids who needed the, the new EpiPens for the school year, just so many issues. and. We were scrambling for resources for them to have this life-saving drug. Um, we decided to even extend expiration dates just so everyone could be saved. Absolutely. Wow, wow. Now, let me ask you this question, Dr. Mora. When, when, you, see, when you see the impact of this, because you're talking about the, the fact that allergies, this food allergies can kill. Uh, obviously, we would probably say probably more often they don't, but... But, but when you see that devastation, you see people that are now trying to raise awareness because they've lost a loved one, how does that keep you just motivated to, to keep spreading the message from a physician's end? So when I, honestly, these parents, especially who have lost a loved one, really motivate me as a physician. And I think they motivate all of us because their love is so strong that they want their child's death to prevent the death of others, which is really admirable. So one thing it really is, is 
a key, I think, when I read all these stories is, one, it pushes us to try to save more people, to raise that awareness, to say, you know what, epinephrine has to be given early, and it doesn't matter if you think it's just a mild reaction, we need to act early. The other thing that I need to that I think needs to get out into the public is we always tell people to carry in two packs because sometimes, you know, they're going to be out in a rural area or they're camping and they're not close to an emergency department or a hospital so where they could be treated. So in case of an allergic reaction, I hope the public is really listening. One, you want to give one, and within five minutes, if there's any worsening signs or symptoms, you give a second epinephrine injection, and you don't give it in the same site. So if you gave it in the right leg, you give it now in the left leg in case there's actual blood obstruction. So that way you de-obstruct that area as well too. So that's one important thing I wanted to get through, like you use a different site, not the same actual leg. No, it's very interesting because actually I don't think I was trained that way to use the same to use different sites, so uh-huh. it's very and it makes perfect sense to do that. Mm-hmm. You want to get maximal use and absorption of that medicine of that epinephrine, yeah. absolutely, into the bloodstream, and that's yeah. why you're using two sites. Wow. Yes. So when I was doing some of the research, I, I guess some of the, uh, doing some research for the show, I found that like the first kind of food allergies, at least in modern, I'll call we'll call it modern medicine, um, described a little bit over a hundred years ago. But but we've seen this just this just this boom. Uh, I mean, I think like when I was a kid growing up in the 80s, you know, you're, you're sharing lunchboxes all the time, like trading things, which are, I have my Goonies, my Goonies lunchbox, I have a Star Wars lunchbox, we're trading stuff, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches all the time, and now, that's not even happening at the school level, so what happened, how do we get from like, what seemed like no food allergies back even 30, 40 years ago, and there were allergies, there, but it just seemed like there wasn't, and now we have this just heightened awareness, yeah. What's going on? Or do we know why this is happening? So when we talk about the statistics, there's two kids per, per classroom that now have food allergies. And in adults, we're talking about, actually, when we look at Soldier Field Stadium, one whole section of adults would have food allergy. So what has changed in the last few years that has predisposed? So we know genetics plays a role. So if a mom or dad or runs in a family to have food allergy, there's going to be a higher risk in the child for food allergy. So that's one thing that plays into effect. The second thing is basically the environment. So we have less people who um, previously were living in farms, so now we have more pollution going on in the city. This is why we're fighting for Clean Air Act here in, in the United States and everything else, too. We have more actual processed foods as well, too. So um, now your mom and my mom didn't say, okay, microwave your meal, and that's your meal <laughs> for the day. We didn't have microwaves around at all. No, we did not. No, so it was, everything was homemade, fresh food, everything else, too. And suddenly, so all these chemicals are changing the what's called the microbiome in the actual yes. gut. So the microbiome is basically the gut bacteria that's in that allows for tolerance. So what changes it? So from the studies now we know certain things actually predispose kids or adults to have food allergies. One is if a mommy receives antibiotics when she's pregnant and that basically will alter the gut bacteria in that baby because it not only wipes out the bad bacteria, but also the good bacteria for the tolerance. If the baby has trouble upon birth and receives antibiotics, then that baby's also going to actually have a higher risk of food allergy. 
The other thing is, for example, if the baby's born via C-section versus vaginal delivery, because again, they're not exposed to the good maternal vaginal bacteria that's needed for immune development. And then the fourth thing is, a dog predisposing the actual birth of a baby at home decreases the risk of food allergies and environmental allergies, etc., because they bring outside bacteria in. A cat increases risk. So a cat increases risk, <laughs> and a dog, Fluffy, decreases risk. I did not know that. So that, that is, that's awesome. And, and now I'm about to make a compelling argument to my wife now that we need to get a dog. That's right. So we'll see that, how that works. No, she's not going to like that I said that, but that's all right. Well, this, this is just fascinating stuff because, again, we're talking about the, the impact, and at the end of the day, we want... Uh, well, anybody that suffers from food allergies to live a life that's that's free of fear from eating. Uh, and we want help. We want. Fe- we don't want that fear. We want to be. We want them to be full, fulfilled and fearless. And so we have a lot of work to do. Now it's interesting. I was doing some more as I do some more research here. Uh, I found some data from, and this is from the Food Allergy Research and Education uh, out of Virginia. And I was interested when they said. Uh, more than 170 foods have been reported to cause reactions in the United States, but eight major food allergens exist. Milk, egg, peanut, tree nuts, wheat, soy, fish, and crustacean shellfish. And they're responsible for the most serious allergy, food allergy reactions in this country. Uh, first of all, when you look at those big groups, those major groups, I mean, a lot of people eat that kind of stuff. But I did not know the, the list of foods was so high. And, uh, and, and just talks, talks about, hey, we need to do some more research on this. So let me ask you this. Say somebody goes to a restaurant. That's a food allergy, everything else, too. So getting them dirt, giving them vitamin D as well, too, the like, sun. Let kids play. Let kids play, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Get their immune system. And then the other one is, so it's the Ds. So one dirt. is dirt, <laughs> two is vitamin D, three, diverse diet early on. So because now the studies are actually showing we want early introduction of high allergy foods in kids with low risk. So if a child doesn't have actual bad eczema and there's no family history of food allergy, at four months of age, when solids are introduced, the new recommendations are that peanuts should start being introduced. Tree nuts, fish, shellfish completely. So it's just like your mom and my mom did when we were little. We were introduced to egg very early on. What happened is that we noticed that when we were telling actual pediatricians to tell parents to not introduce the high allergy foods till three years of age so that kids could tell us if they were having symptoms, we saw a huge rise in food allergy because they were delaying the introduction of actual foods. So now we're going back to before and actually telling them introduce it early. And for those kids at high risk for actual food allergy, then skin test them first, and if they're negative, then they go ahead and start introducing these foods. Excellent. What do you what do you see in from like uh, from a youth engagement kind of perspective? Because you know I always talk about like the next generation of leaders. I mean, kids that are that, that have gone through food allergy that know they have it, giving back. Do you are you seeing some of that kind of involvement maybe at the high school level of kids trying to educate other kids? Because I think sometimes you know I, I don't consider me or you old farts by, by by far at all. You know we're still we still got our swag, we still got our youth, our relative youth. But 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 sometimes as, as you know you get a little bit older, you may not. Um, you may not be able to um, 
basically understand they might not relate, you might not be relatable to some of those younger kids. So do you ever see any kind of stories or you hear any things of maybe it's like the big brother that's in high school who may have food allergies and he talks to some other kids or anything like that? Absolutely. So you see it in high schools a lot, which is really great. And even at the college level too, just educating on food allergy and becoming leaders in that way as well too. And um, one, because sometimes in high schools they still have the peanut and tree nut free tables as well too so one having them show them around show them that it's okay and then also talking in an auditorium style like during pep rallies and everything else too on the importance of recognizing food allergy and actually one actual student i heard talk that really drove me said i am not different because i have a food allergy I am the same as you, except that, you know, these foods can make me really sick. So I need you to help me, and I need you to help other students if they get sick. So I need you to know what to do. And he taught them what to do, which I thought was, what a great kid, really. Yeah, what a great kid. What what an engaged person. And we need some of the engagement of everybody out there Mm -hmm. to make this issue uh, much more understandable and something that we can talk about practical solutions. So speaking of solutions, I want to ask you a couple of questions about some new things that are out there because I always, I always first of all, I like, like the fact that, you know, we're using social media to kind of get the message out there because this is how we reach the masses. Absolutely. So we've got to keep doing it. And I encourage anybody out there that's listening to the show, like literally share this on your Facebook, share this on Twitter, share this wherever to get the word out because we have to do this together to make, to, to make things right, to move the needle to, to continue this discussion because this discussion has to happen. We need to be comfortable talking about it, right? Absolutely, uh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And so we want, we, and that's really that empowerment aspect. And again, we want our patients to be just as empowered as a lot of their physicians are in the, being empowered and taking care of them. So I want to ask you about some new tech because I was doing some, you know, I find this stuff interesting because I'm not, I, I don't do a lot of allergy in my practice, so, but as I prepare for various shows, I go, wow, you know, as a general practitioner, yeah, I might see, on, see things on the fringe. But I'm like, oh, you know, Dr. Moore, she's in the trenches. So i got to ask her some questions about being in the trenches so I can get a better understanding. But then people out there can get an understanding there. So I found some information here on uh, clinical trials that are out there for food allergy therapies. And we know, again, right now there is no known cure for food allergies. But there are some studies that are going out there. So uh, can you talk a little bit about, like, oral immunotherapy or sublingual Immunotherapy. I had to look these up, everybody. I didn't know this stuff. Uh, <laughs> or even like skin patch therapy, um, the epicutaneous immunotherapy. What's going? What's the direction of some of the research going in right now? Where's it going? So, actually, Immune and DBB. So DBB is a French company, and Immune are bringing to, um, two actually great, um, great therapies for possible peanut allergy and milk allergy to the United States and hope to be FDA approved by the end of this year, so hopefully in the market by beginning of 2019. And I call 2019 to be food allergy year because I really think this is where finally some of the research is really starting there. So DBB, which is the French company, is bringing an epicutaneous, so it's going to be a little patch that kids or adults can wear on their arm. And it's basically no chance of anaphylaxis or anything else. It contains a little bit of peanut protein on it. And it basically is sending signals to your actual um, 
to your actual skin cells. The skin cells are transmitting actual signals to the brain and then the brain to the gut to actually increase tolerance. So what the goal is, is what they saw year one after wearing it and they switch it every 24 hours. If they go swimming, they switch it. Um, at one year, they saw a 25% decrease in skin test reactivity and blood testing. At year two, they saw a 35%. At year three, they saw a 50% reactivity, and they were able to eat actually um, a total of 11 times more peanut than at the beginning of the trial. So what that basically means is if someone were to have an allergic exposure to peanuts and accidentally eat something, a Reese's peanut butter cup, then they're not going to go into anaphylaxis. Wow. So that, to parents, to people, it's going to be life-changing. Yeah. Definitely. Game changer. Game changer. And then the other thing is coming from I-Immune, which is basically a desensitization protocol where it's going to be peanut flour in capsules. They're going to be receiving an increasing dose coming through, and they basically mix it into their favorite food, cereal. It can be a pudding or anything else. And what they're doing is basically promoting tolerance. There were a little bit more actual side effects seen in the studies, for example, a little bit of indigestion in the gut because it's going through the gut and so forth. But again, it increased tolerance, and in case they were to have accidental exposure to peanut, they were not going into anaphylaxis. Wow. And you're really talking about ways for people just to live normal lives. And we talk about and being, fear. Full, yes. being fearless, <laughs> fulfilled, and healthy because, again, it's food. Absolutely. Uh, so and we're going into Halloween, and, yeah. <laughs> you know, they get all the candy. and they, Who knows what's out there. Absolutely. Again, yeah. well, absolutely. This is awesome. So I like, that. I like how you coined it. 2019, the year of the food allergy. I am going to follow up with you on that one for sure. I want to do this now. I want to switch things a little bit because uh, what I've been doing on the show lately is I've been doing this myths versus facts thing. And, and this is the time to break down a lot of the falsehoods that are out there, just the bad information, the misinformation out there. So, Dr. Mora, here we go. Speed food round. allergies, speed round. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're on the spot. <laughs> it's food allergies. Uh, to your health with Dr. G, food allergies, myths versus facts. So I'm going to say that I'm going to read a statement, and you're going to say myth versus or fact. And you can tell me, like in a couple sentences, why it's a myth or a fact. Here we go. The food allergy version of myths versus facts. Here we go. All right, number one. Food allergies are rare and often aren't serious. False. <laughs> myth. So definitely, we want to, this is why Dr. G and I are here. We're promoting food allergy awareness, and we want to save and make it actually as known as to many people as possible. It is, it is serious. It's life-threatening, potentially. All right, here we go. Second statement. Here we go. Food labels make it easy to know what's safe for people with food allergies. Ah, food labels, we don't want to talk about that. I know, yeah. myth. We need yeah. better food labeling. So right now, the, the big eight are currently labeled well, but when we go into, for example, sesame seed, which we didn't talk about, but it's the number one growing food allergy currently in the United States. Mm. And here's my actual theory on why we have a sesame seed increase. Because we have a lot more in vitro going on in mommies to get pregnant. And guess what those hormone shots that they give each, each twice a week or three times a week are actually stored in? Sesame seed oil. Wow. Uh, I did not know that. <laughs> and I'm just like, wow. So that's a very interesting correlation between yeah. that. 
Uh, I don't think the lay public knows that. No, I don't <laughs> think so either. It's like a hidden secret, but but that's but if we're seeing that exposure and that risk on the back end, we've got to do something about that. Absolutely. Uh, here we go. Next statement: myth versus fact. Here we go. You can cook allergens out of food. If it's, for example, an environmental allergen, so for example, um, apple, and an apple gives you itchy mouth, then you can put it in the microwave, the apple, for 10 seconds, and the pollen is degraded, but not the actual food. Protein. Excellent. All right, here we go. Um, uh, you answered this already, but I'll just say it anyways. You can grow out of food allergies. Yes, you can. All right, that is a fact. All right, here we go. All right, here's a statement. You can be allergic to any food. Correct, yes. I agree, that is a fact. All right, here we go. And I think you, you knocked this one out of the park, but here we go. Benadryl can be helpful for anaphylaxis. EpiPen, epinephrine, epinephrine, epinephrine. Please, first, first, first. Yeah, for, I mean, I, I, so I, read a, I read a case um, uh, about um, a physician whose daughter actually wound up dying from a, at, at a party or something, and the daughter wound up getting um, Benadryl at the sign of an allergic reaction or a food allergy, and then epinephrine was delayed by about 30 minutes or something like that. But, but it's epinephrine, 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 so. Absolutely, That's the, that is the number one thing that we can tell all our patients out there. Yes. All right, here we go. Um, the quote may contain warning labels, just provide legal protection for companies. Those foods are fine for those with anaphylactic allergies. No, false. <laughs> I love these questions because I'm like, oh, we're, we're, we're doing some underhand, we're doing some softballs here. But, but it's important to dispel this information. There's a lot of misinformation. Absolutely. And like big questions I always get on that is uh, may, contain, um, may contain peanuts or tree nuts or manufactured in a plant that also processes peanuts or tree nuts. So manufactured in a plant that processes peanuts or tree nuts means that the building can be four buildings away, but legally they still have to put it on the actual label. So that means it's usually really safe, honestly. Studies have shown cockroach droppings are higher in number than any peanuts or tree nuts in that case. Yeah. <laughs> I know we're gonna use the word cockroach today, but there we go. <laughs> but may contain traces of peanuts or tree nuts, be careful, absolutely. Excellent. Thank you. Here we go. Next one. Um, I, here's, here's a statement, probably from my parents. Here we go. I diagnose my child's allergy so they don't eat X anymore. I don't know what I'm trying to say on that one. <laughs> well, I think for a lot of people, they feel that they need, um, you know, they, maybe the kid would get really bad eczema or something and so the parent took it out of them out of the actual mm -hmm. foods so that way they could feel better or or classic story that you or I probably hear is you know we took milk out because it cost all this phlegm and really it's not an actual milk allergy it's just they probably had a cold and then they drank milk and of course it increased oh, yeah. the actual mucus production and you say that nope, and then you say cause and effect it's very easy to come to that conclusion Correct. all right here we go um, food allergies most uh, we, we dispel this one but here we go I'm saying anyways just in case people didn't hear this food allergies mostly impact high-income Caucasian families food allergy doesn't discriminate Everyone's affected. Excellent. We'll do one more food allergy, myth versus fact. Here we go. Uh, 
I was exposed to an allergen, but I'm fine. Maybe I'm not going to have a reaction. False, false, false. So we can never predict what the second reaction is. The other thing patients should know is there's basically once they've had a really hard reaction. For example, I had a patient who came to me and had a reaction to shellfish and then said, but I kept eating shellfish and then I didn't have any reactions during four weeks. And the reason she wasn't having any reaction because she's, she was in that window period where her immune system had already exploded and given a reaction. So she hadn't built up enough immune actual um, I- immune response to mount an actual response against the food again. So it takes your body four to six weeks to rebuild and be able to mount another response. Wow. All right. Well, hey, this has been awesome. By the way. <laughs> this has been awesome talking with you and everything, Dr. Mora. But we got about five minutes left. So we're going to kind of wrap this up a little bit, but this has been just awesome. Just so happy that you're here. We've been, you and I have connected again, talking passionately about, and you got the passion for sure, Thank about you. the importance of food allergies and food allergy awareness. So I want to do this. So at the end of the, you know, when we see patients in the, in the, in the office, you know, when we wrap it up, wrap up our business, we call it the assessment and plan. So Dr. Moore, here's your assessment and plan. What, what are some take-home points for people that are listening to our show watching us, are going to share it, you guys got to share it, but people that are listening to us, what's the take-home points when you're, that you would say as it relates to food allergy awareness? Give us a couple take-home points. So one, food allergy doesn't discriminate, so everyone is at risk. Two, what is something that we can do to help to decrease our actual chance of having a childhood food allergy, the D's, so just reiterating, uh, so one it. is basically vitamin D, get the sunlight, two, Dirt. So make sure that the child rolls around in dirt. Let the immune system work. Three, probiotics, which I didn't really touch upon, but it gives all that good bacteria back into the gut, and it's good for the whole family. So I'm a big proponent of good bacteria. Four, actual dermatitis or skin. Treat the skin. Make sure it's basically nicely uh, lotioned up for a baby and everything else because it will decrease the chance of food allergy as well too because when the actual skin is open, food can touch the skin and create an immune response to it so it can increase the actual risk of food allergy. So that's another one. Get a dog if you'd like (laughs) to decrease the risk of actual um, food allergy as well too. And then really... The big take-home point that we are really stressing with Dr. G today is epinephrine early. Early, early intervention is key to preventing mortality or death. If you want to save someone, definitely, you want to make sure that you use epinephrine. Four, raise awareness in your communities as well, too. Get EpiPens to be uh, available in church settings, in um, libraries, in schools. There's programs out there where schools can get free um, OVQs or epinephrine, so that way they can be part of the emergency kit for school. And we're going to try to get it on airplanes as well, too, so that if kids or adults are in midair, then they, um, that the staff is trained to actually give them as well, too. So that's one thing we're lobbying for. Excellent take-up points. And here's kind of my, my final thoughts. You know, eating is an intrinsic and an essential part of what we do and who we are. So the idea that your bodies can rebel violently, potentially, to everyday foods can be difficult to believe. But what we need to do is continue to have this conversation. And as we have this conversation, we can try to find practical solutions together. 
So I want to thank everybody for checking us out today. Again, uh, Dr. Mora. Oh my gosh, Dr. Juanita Mora. You guys need to check her out for real. If you have any concerns, anything about allergies, food allergies or just allergies, just somebody who's super passionate, you guys got to check out Dr. Juanita Mora from the Chicago Allergy Center, the Chicago, www.thechicagoallergycenter.com. Next week on the show, we're going to be doing fresh approaches to athletic training. Why not get that pumping going and all that energy and exercise and healing and things like that. Again, my name is Dr. Mark Gomez, Dr. G. Check me out on my website, www.drmarkgomez.com. Peace out.